Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. My name is Samuel Davies and I'm your host. And in this episode I speak to my good friend, James Atkins, who's been on the show before. And uh, he imparts his knowledge, of which he has much. And this time we're talking about management and tips for managers, which I personally found very, very useful. And I think like all um, good tips, there are some really good, short, sharp, snappy reminders really of things that we probably know and uh, we talked a lot about um, learning and how you managers can train up their team we also talked about how managers can welcome team members to the organization's set objectives and expectations and we also talked about how management cultures can uh, really benefit an organization so there's lots of stuff to cover as with a lot of our interviews it is a little bit noisy in the background, so apologies for that. But you'll hear sporadic bursts of music. But that's just the way we roll, and hopefully you can forgive us that. Enjoy the show. Speak to you later. So hello listeners, I'm here again with my good friend and fellow collaborator on Charity Chat, James Atkins. Hello. And we're going to be talking about management tips. Yes, indeed. And I, I for one, can certainly do with some management tips. I'm Can't we all? Can't we all? <laughs> Should we start with when you've got brand new employees coming yes. to an organisation? You know, I think there are some good tips, aren't there, about you know how you should induct them and how you should make them feel happy on their first day. Oh my God, definitely. And I think you know, if I start from all of our examples, we've all been that first kid at school. We've all been that first day at work. And it can be so nerve wracking. And I think the things, you know, if I start off actually with the, maybe the areas to develop for the charity sector, it's kind of looking at you know, I've seen it before where somebody comes into the office. They have 20 minutes sitting with HR, they're given a million forms, and then um, they're given a desk, and then it's kind of away you go. Yeah. Maybe a chat with the manager at the end of the day, and that's about it really. And I think that's where, you know, partly it comes from a good place of people trying to, um, you know, give people some space to find out what they need to know. Sure. But really as part of that induction, you should really be looking at probably around a sort of three to six month session. And even on that first day, for instance, um, a good example I've seen in the past is actually having like a buddy system. Strangely enough, I got that idea from EastEnders. Did you? Uh, yeah, the EastEnders actors. So that's what they do when the new actor comes on set. Yeah. They have this buddy. Now this buddy isn't necessarily connected to exactly what they're performing with. So it's not, uh, their, not their on-stage wife. That's it, yeah, yeah, a family name. member. Um, but it's actually someone that can show them around the, you know, the building, wears costume, and you know, this principle still applies to the charity sector. Somebody outside of your department that can tell you, how does a photocopier work? You know, even you know, to such a degree, we all have to make connections. What's the gossip in the office? What's actually going on? What's the bylines? Um, who are the big players in the business? And I think that's someone they can just refer to constantly, because I've seen it time and time again when new people are just sort of walking around sort of looking at people to try and get, catch their attention, sure. you know, see what's going on there. And even in small offices, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I've worked in charities where trustees will be coming in and out, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a bit embarrassing if a newbie, you know, stands up and says, oh, hello, you know, can I help you, yeah. and doesn't know who they are. Mm-hmm. It's quite nice for them to have a exactly. bit of an inkling as to who people are. Exactly. And even, like, you know, say, for example, so a lot of organisations will do this, whether big or small, but they'll set up induction meetings with relevant managers they feel yeah. they need to speak to. Now, what I've seen done in the past is actually, um, they've actually, I've given crib sheets to managers about 
what the things they should be covering. Right, so okay. you know, what are your if you're a manager and you're, into, you're uh, inducting a new member of staff from another department, what are the core messages you want to get across? What are the partnerships working with that you want to get across as well? Um, and that should again be happening not only necessarily over the first week, I'd probably say over the first month as well. And then it comes back to as well, now bigger organisations will probably do a corporate induction, so a whole day session. And the way I've seen it done not so well is when you have a period of each department head or manager just doing a presentation at a group of people right, okay. for about half an hour. That's a pretty full on day for a newbie, and isn't it? Is a bit. And yeah. I've seen it before where it'll go off nine till five, and by the end of it, people have just had it. Even if you're the most engaged employee, sure. you're not going to re engage with that. And I think I've talked about it before, but you know, this idea that most adult learners have a memory span of about five minutes. Right. So if you're talking at them for more than five minutes without interacting, they will switch off. Right, okay. And we've all heard the death by PowerPoint, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and some people, and this is what I used to coax managers into, you know, what sort of assessment, what sort of interactive sessions can you make? Mm. You can just make it a bit fun. You know, inductions do not have to be the most driest thing in the world. Yeah. You want to introduce them to the culture. A good example of that is kind of around values and behaviours. Sure. So, you know, a lot of times what organisations will do is say, these are our values and behaviours. They will give it in a pack on your first day. And then that's it. It's never really discussed again. And yeah, how important is it that staff know in the ins and outs of their values and behaviours? I well, suppose it's quite useful, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite useful. And it's more about, from my perspective, the values and behaviours, if it's a learning tool, it's to make it as clear and simple as possible. Sure. I've seen it in places where they've had, like, you know, 12 values and behaviours and there's all these different characteristics with managers and senior managers, and it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. You know, you want to make it come alive, and especially if you want to embed that practice, because mm. if you've got a working culture that, I don't know, favours collaboration or favours getting results. You need to tell your staff this. It doesn't and I think this is what happens sometimes with induction. People just think intuitively people will pick it up. Yeah. Not always the case. I've had recent experience of joining an organization mm. and getting there yeah. and having it's been rare, yeah. but having everything ready for me. So I get there, I can log into the computer, I've got my phone set rare. up. I mean, I've had my business cards, you know, I've had right, all these okay. things. And, and it only occurred to me that I'd never really had that before when I right. had it. And that was lovely, and that was a lovely first day. Yeah. That was really great. And at the end, you know, the kind of the, the mm. being asked how my first day was, you know, yes. all those things. You know. I think so, definitely. First day, first week, first month even, you know, yeah. how are you finding it? And that can be from your manager, that can be from other team members. But I think that's a great example of actually, again, from the organisation's perspective, getting things prepared before sure. people start. Because again, we've all had it that, you know, the IT isn't set up. You know, I've worked in an organisation where I didn't get a phone for about six weeks. You know, that it, it just impacts on what people's, you know, and this is the, the first point to make an impression on your new employees. Yeah. This learning options that you provide, if you're seen as being dynamic and creative and there's all sorts of learning options available. And, you know, another good example is obviously getting a range of e-learning topics available. And looking at that e-learning package of your induction and seeing how interactive and again how fun you can make it. Yeah. Because again, we've all had the e-learning courses on our first week that are so dry that you just think, I never want to go back to them ever again. <laughs> and if you get promoted in that organisation and you're yeah. recruiting members of staff, 
are you going to encourage them to do that e-learning? Sure. Maybe not, you know what I mean? It's just like, and it doesn't actually in itself, a lot of them, so I'm not promoting them here, but the C CLC, Charity Learning Consortium, you can actually devise your own induction courses, put in videos, put in quizzes, and itself doesn't actually take that much time work-wise, so. Um, so yes, and also as well looking into, even when they first start, so we've said about the budding system, mentoring as well right, and yeah. mentoring again from someone outside of the team right. and you know I think it's important to you know because you'll always have those connections within a team but I think certainly within learning and certainly within induction you don't want to have that silo mentality sure. you know um, where it's like us for the other department you kind of want to be working together on things and it, does that help with uh, managing up so you oh, know God, if, yeah. if one of my team has a problem with me I'd hope they'd come and talk to me about it or if, if they you know if they don't understand something I've said something like that mm. they might find it easier to Somebody else, totally, yeah. totally. Um, and I've seen that time and time again because, especially when you first start, we want to make yeah. that good impression. And actually, sometimes it is, you know, you know, if you ask that question twice about what to do with the photocopy or what should I do in this sort of situation of reporting, mm. or if I'm making a presentation to someone, then maybe it's a challenging relationship. You don't always want to go to your manager with that situation. So I had a conversation fairly recently Ooh. about uh, learning development and I think there's a stat out there around 70% is on yes. the job learning, 20% is mentoring, is yes. that right? Yes, well, it's, um, it's definitely a 2010 model and it's been yeah. around for many, many years now but I think for me personally as an LD worker, um, it does kind of resonate with me because 70% of your learning will happen is on the job learning. Sure. So this is where a lot of times when people will say, oh, I haven't got time for learning. They're thinking of it as a workshop, and actually you're constantly learning. That adage, you learn a new thing every day, it's yeah. always happening. And those skills that you're picking up, 20% actually come sometimes from coaching and mentoring, like I was saying earlier, but also from learning from others. You know, learning from other skill sets, especially workplace culture, I think it's so important to understand how it all works. And then 10% is around um, actual workshops and specific learning interventions. Right, okay. Which, Courses and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And, you know, and that's even, you know, it's all about learning here. When I first started on Lindsay, I think my focus was always about having as many workshops as possible, yeah. and bums on seats. And actually, that is, shouldn't really be the priority for the business. No, no. And that's certainly, when you're looking at L&D, a lot of times, a lot of organisations have developed where they will talk about L&D in um, the one-to-ones or their supervisions. But in itself, um, that isn't always you know, the best way because they'll talk about, okay, do you want to go on this course? Okay, we'll just put you on the course. Now, it's kind of box ticking then, isn't it? Yes. Box ticking exercise. It's not actually fulfilling the needs of your department. A lot of times, especially with smaller organisations, they don't necessarily have an LED trader and they won't have somebody in house. So they will just send people off to these courses. I suppose it makes sense, doesn't it? Because every job is different and a lot of these courses are kind of trying to teach general skills mm. or, or you know, a very broad group of people. Of course, got of course. different roles and responsibilities. Um, but in itself, you know, like you said, it's supposed to be generic, but is it always fit for purpose? Mm. You know, and I think, you know, I used to speak to people after learning and, you know, we'll talk about evaluation in a minute, but, um, you know, how do you find it? Well, the lunch was nice. What did you learn from it? Yeah. Mm, they couldn't really pick that apart. And I think we've all been to these courses of or, or events where you go there and, and really they're just telling you things you know. Yeah. And I suppose also from the, you know, there are a lot of charities listening to this podcast. And yeah. They probably don't have very big training budgets as it is. Of course. So it's probably 
a good thing to hear that it's only a small amount of the learning actually comes from these paid courses and that there's so much more opportunity to train people up. You know, and people sometimes don't even, because they think about learning development, they just automatically connotate it to training. And it's so not about that. It's actually about what you're growing. And so your one-to-one should be actually like, so what have you grown upon? What Have you finished, have you done that reporting style? Are you working on that Excel report? Okay, you've done that now. Have you built up that relationship? That's another learning objective as well. It's again changing people's perception. Yeah. And also as well, even in a smaller organisation, so what I've done in the past is actually recruit staff members to deliver workshops. Um, because they know the audience. It's they, a mutual training then, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. And always making sure with that model is that you don't verge into them just presenting at someone for an hour and a half. Um, making sure there's some form of assessments, but the feedback I've had is always that that's more beneficial. And it doesn't have to be. People think of a training course and they're like, right, we have to have the whole day, it's two days. Not necessarily. That's great, isn't it? And that, that kills two birds one stone, because then from the, the, tr- the person giving the presentation, it improves their presentation skills, it maybe helps them to convey their messages to the internal yes, audience exactly. before they do it to an external exactly. audience. Oh, that's a fantastic idea. And certainly like, facilitating that discussion, you know, about what do I need from you, what do you need from me, you know, it kind of opens up that dialogue really. And again, I've done it before where you've had like workshops that are about an hour and a half, two hours. It doesn't have to be the whole day. Um, And actually, and that fits in with, again, people's working styles because not everyone could dedicate a whole day. Absolutely. I see a lot of times of work where it's like, that course looks great, but I genuinely have deadlines to meet and I can't always make those sessions. So it's looking how you can fit into that. Also as well with LED, just making sure that you're looking at people's various learning styles as well. So I know myself, I'm very outgoing, I love a good discussion, I love a role play. Oh yeah, I know you do. I know, yes. uh, (laughs) I've been part of these trainings. Yes, uh, but I know that is really not for everyone. And so you have to make sure that you're fitting into learning styles. So if you are doing a learning course, that you're giving as much information as you can. Certainly if it's an internal one. Also as well looking at, is there any pre-reading you can do? Certainly for some you know, people, if you're ed- introvert or extrovert, if you're more introverted, you want to take that time to read through what's going to be happening. Sure. Because certainly if you're in a learning, if you're in a workshop-based uh, setting, you can be quite intimidating. Mm. And, um, you know, again, as a trainer, I've seen it time and time again, where you'll see people, and they're almost like a deer in the headlights, they're terrified. Right. And again, they're not going to take in the learning if it's like, okay, come up and do this role play now, mm. because it's not going to work for them. Mm. Also as well, what I've seen is a, L&D option is also just shadowing other teams. Yeah. I've seen that work really, really well. So, for instance, not even just your induction, going way past that. If, say, for example, you're struggling, I don't know, with marketing and comms, sure. um, then actually you go and sit with them for a day or two. Because, again, that adds to the idea about um, you know, understanding each other better. What are their commitments? What are they working through? And, I've, you know, where I work quite now, actually, they're just doing that. And I think it works really yeah. well as a learning option. And it doesn't cost that much. So is it the so that could look like someone going to team meetings? From Indeed, that team yeah. It could be just it could be for the day, like doing some data entry, right. or it could be like whatever you would like it to be. And you can set it up in parameters to everyone's different learning styles. Yeah. But even um, I've seen it before at a smaller charity, where if, say for example you have three or four members of staff, send them to another charity. Mm, good idea. For a day. Yeah. Um, I've seen and have it. Have kind of a swap. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I've done that actually with volunteers and staff members that, you know, and it works really, really well because you can pick up new ideas, see how things are working. And it doesn't, you know, you're not in this static, sometimes people find it a static learning environment yeah, sitting in a workshop. Yeah. How does this correlate to my day-to-day -day job? found benefit in getting um, team members out of the office. Totally. And, and even if that's, you know, um, we had we actually had a fire alarm a little okay. while ago, uh, somewhere I was working, and uh, we had to leave the office because the fire alarm was incessant, there was some kind of problem with it. And uh, we ended up going to a coffee shop, and we ended up expediting our team meeting that was for later in the week, and we had it there in the coffee shop. And I think it was very different outcomes than if we'd have had it in the office. Yeah. People seemed a bit more g'd up, maybe that was the caffeine. Yeah. Um, but that was quite interesting. Well, it's even like, you know, so we're looking at L&D, looking at team away days. So, yeah. you know, I've always looked at that because people think about team away days that they, you know, they've got to do something with the straw, they've got to eat a lot of food, <laughs> and then they've got to talk for four hours and try to be creative. Yeah. Um, you don't always have to do it that way. You know, you, again, bringing in the assessment model, making it quite entertaining, making it half a day. You know, I've seen teams where they will go away for like two days in some retreat somewhere, and yeah. it's like, again, you're gonna get the best out of your team in that sort of learning style. Sure, Especially sure. when we were talking about earlier, people are introverted, extrovert, they have different needs, basically. Yeah. So it has to be structured. Nobody is born with a lot of the skills that we use in our charities no. day to day. So no. how, how do you go about developing someone's skills? Mm. A lot of times in charities people recruit on a certain skill set, put them into an organisation and say, off you go. Yeah. And actually not looking at, you know, what do you want, you know, what do they want in a year, two years, three years? And this is a question I used to even throw back to managers. Where do you envision your team to be in three years? Mm. You know, if your skills, if you had the same team now, what skill sets do they need? Right, okay. So it's a question people can't really answer, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I think learning becomes a big part of that. And I think, certainly for skill development, if you look actually across the sector around retention, um, not always great, actually. Is, do candidates, or do, do, do staff generally know what their skills are what they're lacking or is it a case of managers having to probe that? How is that? Very good question. I think yes, it's a mixture of the two. So sometimes people will know. So again in skill development, people might have a dream of a certain job they want to get into. Yeah. Whether that's within their department or somewhere else. Um, but also it's a mutual thing where you have to look at um, the manager picking apart what are the things they might need. Because for instance there are certain skills that most people do not think they need a training course for, right. like managing stress, sure. strategizing, um, dealing with feedback. That was a big one, actually. From senior managers down to most officers, people cannot deal with feedback. <laughs> Especially constructive feedback. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I'll be the skill. Give I'll be me honest. positive feedback anytime. Yeah, totally. With that. Do you know what I mean? Stroke my ego all the time. <laughs> But uh, constructive feedback, it could be difficult to deal with. Yeah. And actually those are sometimes the learning initiatives. Again, what we were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be a workshop. It mm. could actually just be coaching, mentoring. It could be a one-to-one. -one. It could be go to another organization. But try and pick apart why you're reacting in that way. Sure. Um, and I think that's where sometimes, especially with learning development, people focus on like you know, the technical skill that somebody might have in a job, yeah. but not look at, I hate this word, but the soft skills that sometimes people need 
to work with others, and which really can probably be more more empowering, more effective than you know the the analytical skills that you get totally. from some of these training courses. Totally. You know, I've interviewed people where like they can have the most you know amazing technical ability, whatever function, but you know if it comes across that they can't work with others, that they can't collaborate, you know, yeah. and all the things that actually charities are looking for in their candidates, um, then I would want to recruit them. Um, and if I did recruit them, certainly I want to look at a specific learning intervention to kind of address those things. Yeah, I think that self-awareness is something that it's, it's something that a lot of people take for granted. It's something fundamental that I suppose one could argue that is something that you know they should be teaching in schools. You know, but but it doesn't. Always, it's not always the case. People come to charities, and there's sometimes some behavioural. Yeah. challenges that need to be addressed. That no, you're wrong, hard. like the first part of my career, I think um, I was uh, a little bit more forthright than I should be. Um, <laughs> didn't understand about the idea about political manoeuvring, shall sure, we say. Sure. And again, that didn't come from a learning course, that came from managers and other people around me saying, yeah. okay, don't say that. <laughs> so you can give, as a manager, you've got a lot of potential to give your team some fantastic learnings and skills that's going to help them in that role but also exactly. in life. I mean it's all exactly. responsibility that, in a way. Exactly and we've all learned things along the way when you you know you go up from administrator, officer to manager. Actually you can relate to other people. Mm. It's almost that assumption yeah. it's like well if I know it other people will. No. It's not the case. Yeah, it's not always. It's just like um, so yeah, again and again ask you so and again looking at that learning model because if you're not saying if you're not offering, say, for example, shadowing or mentoring or coaching or any sort of opportunity to develop, and again, this is sometimes feedback I've got from managers where they've said, well, I just don't have the time to, you know, um, free that person up for learning. Sure, sure. I just need them to focus on these, you know, these deadlines. Well, that's great, but are you going to keep that person long term? And I think, you know, as a charity sector as a whole, probably not, actually. Um, you know, I certainly know in my career, you know, you always had to move along to kind of get that development aspect. Now, if that was offered in an organisation, and we just talked about earlier, it doesn't have to be massively costly. Yeah. It could actually just be the culture that you develop. It could be really impactful. Do you have any idea, views on how managers can give uh, constructive feedback to mm. their teams? How can they get their head around it? Because I know for me, I have in the past, certainly, yeah. I found it quite a challenge to pluck up the courage or yes. deliver in the, the most positive, constructive way I can yeah. feedback on, you know, you're, you're just not cutting it, you're just not providing the service I need you to provide, you're just not doing this well enough. What, what can managers do? Well, I think the first step, and I've seen this before, where, you know, especially as a learning outcome, people will come to the manager and say, I'm not happy with your officer, for instance, and say they're not delivering. So I always just come back to them and say, have you had a conversation with them about that? And they'd always say no. Sure. So again, that puts you on the back foot. But again, the first instance, I think it's about facing that head on. Yeah. So do not wait to the one-to-ones. No. I think sure. this is what a, a, a sort of tri you know, trick uh, people trap people fall into, is they'll actually wait until the one-to-ones and say, this is what I'm not happy about. Three months ago, you did this thing. You did thing. this, and it's not really going to work. And actually, again, if you're going to say it, I think it's being as honest as you can. I like to use uh, the euphemism beep sandwich. Um, I know a lot of people don't like using that, but um, it works for me. I think as well, um, so with it in that, you obviously something positive, something constructive, and something positive as well. Yeah. There's always something to pull out. I don't think you ever be dishonest, because mm. I think, again, 
it can go one of two ways. One time, you know, one time people can be really aggressive. Mm. I saw one instance once where a manager brought into staff member and sat them down and said, "Well, everyone just said you're not performing, and uh, you just got to buck your ideas up." That's not going to make that person feel very good. That didn't go down too well. But then on the flip side, I saw a situation where the manager placated that person so much, they didn't realise there was any issue. I see. So you've got to get a healthy middle ground. Exactly. And I think very much so from my perspective, if you are going in with a situation like that, plan it through. Mm. So from my perspective, I usually write it out. Like what I like, just bullet points of what you want to say. Sometimes people write it out a little bit more in depth. But really structure the conversation yeah. because as a manager and again this is a learning opportunity but you have the opportunity to guide that conversation mm. you can take it a lot of ways you know and I suppose you need to evidence it don't you it's it. um, um, and the hearsay thing is the worst possible because that yes. there's nothing to back that up and, and I think it sounds well, like you know, everyone's against them and this is again the learning option is that you, know, you can't go in there all guns blazing you have to sort of say this is some feedback I've been receiving, and mm. um, how can we work on this? And I think, again, using that learning model, how can we move forward from this? Because we all make mistakes, and I think that's, again, a key aspect of learning and development. And I see this from senior managers down to you know administrators. If you make a mistake, it's okay. Yeah. We all make mistakes. It's actually how you learn from that. That's the most important thing, yeah. in my perspective. And I suppose isolating the um, the behaviour from the person, because my wife and I, I'm mm. sure she'd love the fact that I'm talking I'm about it. I'm sure she'd yes. But you know, she and I had an agreement uh, a little while ago. Rather than saying you're an idiot, <laughs> you say you're acting like an idiot. So then that means I've got something I can change. Yeah. I can change how I'm acting. I can't change how I am. If I'm an idiot, I can't change that. <laughs> no. So um, she didn't use those words exactly. But um, so I, you know, is there, is there something in that as well? In, in kind of rather than like you're not doing a good job, saying, or, or, or maybe that's a bad example, but saying like you know you're you're a very you're you're a very aggressive person. So you behaved aggressively in that situation. Or you've been you've been quite direct. You know that's the impact it's been having. Again, you're not sugarcoating it, but it's yeah. again, it's just how you're structuring it. And also looking at your team itself, like there's no reason why, you know, people without effective development can't get freshly where they want to be. Mm. But I always use the example somebody presented to me about technical development and uh, leadership development. So if you're looking all of the lines of, you know, if you're technically, I don't know, if we pull out an example, a community fundraiser, technically you're a great community fundraiser. Sure. Are you a great leader? And I think personally, those are two separate things. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and certainly, you know, I worked somewhere where they actually started developing this model of actually like, with relation to your learning development, are you going on a technical route or are you going on a leadership route? Mm. I think that's important as well because if you are quite direct, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but just do you want to have that in a leadership role? Is it more sure. maybe more a technical way that you could develop some technical expertise and push yourself forward? So you really got to get to know your team as yes. a manager. You got to get to know them and then and try and help with them identify what they're what they're lacking yeah. and therefore where you what you what you put into terms of training yeah. and, and exactly. mentoring. Exactly. Thinking strategically. Now that's oh, yes. a skill that I've becoming a senior manager in various roles over the last few years. That's been the area that I've had to develop the most. Is thinking strategically. I didn't even know what that meant really when I started out. I don't know if does anyone really know what that means. I mean, in itself, I always picked it apart as. Um, you know, there's operationally, so that's your day-to-day -day and your functions that you're doing. Sure. And strategically, this is my perception of it. You know, where are you kind of where are you vision? 
where it said we're at point A, and in three years' time we want to get to point B. What those sort of strategic oversight that we want to get into, right? And that's how I kind of understood it. Yeah, you know, sure, it apart. sure, okay. Um, and again, I think it's a really important learning tool because I think it really isn't taught in the charity sector. Yeah, you know, thinking strategically. Again, going back to what I was saying earlier about technical. You know, we favour. You know, we talked about recruitment earlier in other sessions. You know, we favour our technical ability, mm. and we really don't look at strategic. Even if, say, for example, the HR team has helped write the job description and said we really want you to think strategically, mm. when somebody gets in there, what does that mean? And because, again, to be strategic means different things to different people. Yeah. You know, strategic to me is kind of having an oversight of the wider business, how does that connect, not only internally, but also looking externally and looking at that future planning of where you want to get to. Sure. Um, and I think that strategic planning has to come to a certain degree from the senior leaders, from the chief exec. What is their vision? How do they want to interpret that to a degree? And I suppose being mindful of what's going on outside of your department, your organisation, you know, your country, looking at the, the external oh, factors. Definitely. I mean, there's all this stuff, isn't there, about... Um, you know, uh, doing a pestle analysis yes. on things, you know, the political, economic, oh, I've forgotten already, you know, all, the, all these, you know, doing pestle analysis Indeed, on yes. and also um, doing SWOT analysis and, and really kind of thinking deeply about, as you say, not where we are now, but where we want to be and how we're going to get there. And I think as well, you know, certainly if you're a leader or if you're certainly a manager, you know, part of that as well is engaging with your team. Yeah. You know, what do they think? Incorporating their ideas. Because if you're going to embed that strategy operationally as a learning option, you have to interpret it to the wider team. And this is again where I've seen you know, senior managers write the most amazing strategies or get consultants to do it. And actually, what that results in, have they interpreted that? And that's a learning option as well. How are you communicating that to the wider team? Yeah. Because that's, you know, the embedding part of the strategy is the most important part. I think that's a very good point, you know, because I, I wonder if I'd have struggled so much becoming a manager to understand the strategic stuff if strategy had been communicated to me when I was a lot younger yeah, and yeah. starting out as a team, yeah. you know, no offence to any, any predecessors. No, 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 we, we, no, no, but, no, 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 but that's interesting because I suppose really it's part of that development, isn't it, that you start to, yeah. as a manager, you start to develop your team's understanding of strategy mm. and what it means. There shouldn't be really too much of a separation, I suppose. No, but you know, again, I've had feedback from managers who are like, oh, well, this person doesn't need to know that. And it was like, yeah, they might do. It's that over-filtering. Yeah, over-filtering, because then they feel like, well, that isn't, it's too complicated for them. Even the same as, you know, my passion of volunteering, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't, you know, interpret the strategies of volunteers. They yeah. will, you know, send it off to their wider network. Sure. sure. When people leave an organisation, you know, that, that seems to me to be quite an interesting learning, and certainly from my own narcissistic uh, sense of myself and want to hear be what a good manager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to understand you know, why are they leaving, but also what can I do better? And maybe people are more at liberty to feel that they can say now yeah. that they're leaving. You know what could be improved. And I think this is really important. It's a good example to bring up because um, most of the time, from my experience, um, an exit interview is done. Usually with a HR member staff, but sometimes with a manager. Yeah. And um, that information is recorded down. It's scanned in, it's filed away, and it's never seen again. Oh. And I think, you know, it's a really good learning tool. Um, and development tool for obviously managers as well. What's the feedback that's been given? 
Because um, most of the HR people I've spoken to is like, what do you do with X interviews? Not much. You know, I think actually it's the idea of, again, it's that feedback. Yeah. People feel up, like concerned about how can I express this feedback to a manager some of the issues that we're having. It doesn't have to be a performance management thing either. It's just actually, well, they felt like I had it once where um, I was a, a volunteer coordinator and the volunteer fed back um, that I was bombarding with too much information. Sure. So sure. the way I communicated was like, it was overload. It wasn't working for them. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't working for them. And actually that was really good for me to realise yeah. like assessing any person I work with, how's the best way to communicate with them? Mm. I used to go up to people and just sit next to them and talk to them half an hour. Now, if they're trying to focus on something, that wasn't really working for them. Um, and again, looking at your exit interview questions. You know, I've worked, I've known a lot of organisations where they have the same exit interview questions for every single person, which I get that, there has to be a format. Um, but they have the same questions for years and years and years. Is that really fit for purpose? Especially, for example, if you're developing a new strategy, which a lot of charities are. Um, they usually look at the 2020 model, the future. Um, you know, is it structured? Is your exit interview structured around those strategic aims? Especially if we're going back to the induction part. You're trying to induct them into the values and the behaviours and what we're looking to achieve. Is that person leaving, do they feel that they interpreted that? Did they understand that? And again, that's something to use going forward. Not even just necessarily on a, you know, if it was a negative or constructive argument, if they had a really good experience. Yeah. You know, if it's something that actually they've really enjoyed, that can be fed back to the wider organisation. Sure. You know, as British people, we don't always celebrate when we do things right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Too often it seems that we're only picking people up on what they haven't done. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that feedback, and this is again, I'm always focused on feedback, but you know, that's a good learning tool to say to somebody, do you know what, what you were doing there, that's working really well. Yeah. And we don't always do that, I think, as managers or leaders. And I think that that's works well for the person leaving as well, doesn't Ooh. it? Because, you know, sometimes people, inevitably, I think we've all had it, where you leave somewhere and you feel a little bit of, uh, I don't know, you're, you're either upset or maybe that's too strong a word for it, or you just feel that, you know, you, you, it wasn't great for you. No. you. You know, you're leaving for whatever reason, something wasn't working for you. And I think to be able to leave and, and be acknowledged that that's going to be taken on board, because it might be a, a subjective thing, I suppose, yeah. you know, an organisation might be perfectly good, but it just doesn't fit with that person. Of course, yeah, um, wrong with that. But equally, if, if the same thing keeps coming up again and again and, and again, this is the thing, then yes. it's in everyone's interest, what that is. Yeah. Isn't it? And certainly if there are trends coming through, if it's a certain manager, if it's a certain working situation, yeah. then that should be changed. You know, most of the time, actually, with the turnover of staff, especially in charities, you're looking around two to three years, right. you know, for any sort of role, and that's absolutely acceptable. Yeah. But if people are leaving after six months, a year, if they're giving quite negative experiences time and time again, then something should be done about that. Yeah. And again, what I was saying earlier, it doesn't have to be going on the attack, it's all about learning. How can we move forward from this? Sure. It's the main thing. As a senior manager, you know, I think I've I built up a certain number of skills. Yeah. Sound like uh, the movie Taken now. Yeah. Got a certain set of skills. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, developing those skills, I'm not always, you know, depending on the scenario, I'm not completely clear on no. what skill set a senior manager should have. Is it always the same or does it vary? 
And I think this is the pro this is the thing with the organisations is actually they don't set what they're actually expecting from their senior managers. And expectations is a huge part of actually senior management because even from your your administrators, your volunteers upwards, they all have different expectations of what you should do. My core aspect actually the senior manager is you're clearly communicating about what your aims and objectives are and also clearly communicating what's happening at a senior level. Sure. Not necessarily, you know, the fights between managers, but more about, you know, what is the vision? Mm. And I think that's again what gets lost because they're not translating that downwards. And certain things we were talking about earlier, you know, those leadership skills, you know, I think certainly for any organisation, if you're having heads of business and directors, that you're really looking at what you can invest in as kind of like a leadership intervention. It doesn't have to be spending thousands and thousands of pounds. It's coaching off each other. Mm -hmm. It's going to sit with other managers. It's also as well, you know, very much so making sure, again, you're clearly articulating what the results you're looking to see from your team. Sure. Because I see it a lot with senior managers. When you translate up into that senior level, it's very easy to focus on the operational needs. Mm. Because certainly, especially we were saying earlier about the technical ability, if you've been rising up, um, it's very easy to focus on, oh, I'll just support that person and maybe micromanage. And actually, when you get to that senior leadership level, you really, again, we were saying earlier, leading, looking out, looking outwards, looking internal, but you know, it should be a sort of guiding light. You're leading the way for your team. Sure. You shouldn't necessarily, I've seen senior leaders where they're working like 13 hour days because they're like doing some operational work. Right. That isn't really what should be That's demotivating for the, the people that are supposed to be doing that work, exactly. isn't it? Because you're exactly. either doubling up because you're micromanaging them, yeah. or you're doing their job for them, in which case they're probably not going to feel very good at when they get home at the end of the day. Well, it's also, um, one good senior manager that I worked with once said, if you're giving a task to one of your team and they do the job 80% the way you envisage, yeah. that's enough. start changing your work and the end result isn't same then I shouldn't be doing it yeah. and I think that's an interesting yeah. thing isn't it that people kind of you know because they want to put their own stamp on it of course they do but it's like and that's the thing when you translate up into a senior leadership role is you can't always control every but that's what happens sometimes is actually their learning outcomes happens they focus so much on a specific area yeah. they're not looking at the wider picture and how they're working with others and a big part of senior leadership is actually reducing that silo mentality right. you know we've all kind of grown up with this idea that you have marketing comps fundraising volunteering HR whatever it might be and actually you know, I don't think that's good for an organisation, and certainly from senior leaders. Mm. I've seen it before where actually a group of senior leaders wouldn't actually sit on the same table together because oh. they disagreed with each other so much. Oh no, okay. And that's actually, again, from a learning style because senior leaders, don't necessarily, I always used to believe that, you know, um, you know, the learning style should translate upwards. So for the administrators of the offices, that they should model the best behaviours and it will translate upwards. I don't think it does really in organisations, I think it translates down. So, so you've got to be the role model. Really. Very much so, yeah, very yeah. much so. And actually if you are role modelling behaviours where you don't like the specific team, that would translate downwards mm, in different departments. Yeah. So it's almost a tribalism begins, yes. isn't it? You know, especially if it's a large organisation yeah. where marketing doesn't like 
fundraising or fundraising doesn't like me or whatever. We've seen it time and time again. Yeah, and it's, yeah. um, I think you need to break down those barriers, especially senior leaders and also senior leaders, that you have an understanding of every other department. Mm. Not necessarily every single person that works there, but what are they working on? Sure, sure. You have to have that understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly as well, and I've seen it before, you know, when you're going into sort of senior leader meetings, you know, it's not enough for you to understand your own job function. You have to have an understanding of everyone else's. Because you have to have a wider view, don't you, as a yes, senior, totally. senior manager? Totally. You're going on a learning intervention, you're going on a workshop. You know, how is that being brought back into the business? Right. You know, how is it being embedded into your learning? Um, this, yeah, this is very apt actually, I think. Because I've, I've had this before where I've, I suppose, years ago, yeah. I was asked, you know, where are your notes? You yeah. went on this course, where are your notes? Because in a way, that person sent off, and the idea is, my view is that they go off, they come back with the learnings, they share it with the rest of the team. Yeah. You don't want to have to send everybody on the, on the team to, to this course over two or three years. Yes. Send an ambassador. And this is again, you know, that's what sometimes people think about with learning is that actually they just send every single member of staff on the course. It's like, no. Um, so evaluation of learning, again, a good example of that I've seen is if somebody goes on a learning course or they've been coached by somebody else, they make some sort of presentation to the wider department like it, yeah, of what yeah. they've learned. Good idea. Not a dead by PowerPoint, not an hour of talking, <laughs> you know. But what are the core things they're going to bring back into their day-to-day -day working? And then also looking at evaluation, people think that actually it should just be an evaluation form at the end of the session. Sure. Which actually this, you know, the sector we call happy sheets. I don't think it's the best way to do it. You've had a whole day sitting in a session. Did you like that session? Yeah, it was great. You just want to get out of there. You want to get out of there. Yeah. You want to go home to your families and do whatever you want to do. So actually what I've done in the past is actually sent a more abridged version of a happy sheet to them a week after the course. Really focusing on what do you remember out of it? Because we are talking about earlier about the 70 20 10 model, but actually most of the time if we do the learning session, it's about 25% of that learning that you're going to take out of it. So if they can actually articulate that a week after the course, then you're kind of on your way. The same thing as well with mentoring, you know, if you're having one-to-ones with your, your team, actually having that discussion, how is the mentoring going? Yeah. Now obviously there's confidentiality in relation to that, but to make sure that actually what are they bring you back to their day-to-day -day work is, what can you see the difference of as well? And that feedback model comes into play there because if you can see, oh, I've seen you've been doing this mentoring for six months and I can actually see now you're more confident in dealing with difficult situations. That's something to feed back to people. Yeah. And again, it could add to the you know, further feedback of learning. Yeah. Because I think some models, and this is what I used to do in the past, was look at oh, how many hours of learning have we delivered the organisation for a year. I think we need to move away from that because again... That quality, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Um, and also, you know, um, looking at the evaluation, if you are doing specific learning interventions, just because it worked three years ago, doesn't mean it's going to work right now. What do we mean by learning interventions? And that, that could be a very variety of things. So that could be a workshop, that okay. could be coaching, that could be mentoring, that could be actually sending them, like we said earlier, to another organisation. Sure, sure. Which might have worked three years ago, but again, we're doing a new strategy. Yeah. Is it fit for purpose for right now? Right. And I think the evaluation part can be really useful. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, like we were saying earlier, if something isn't working right now, you can put that in a report and say, it was three years of being really successful doing, for example, the IT training. Yeah. Now we're moving away from that because our workforce is upskilled enough. Right. 
And I think that's the kind of ideas that you can be thinking about. It's a good, I mean, it's just one of these other things that just says to me that, you know, we as charities can be thinking much more smartly about yeah. training. I mean, so often I've been, I've gone on a course, I've come back from a course, uh-huh. it's a bit of paper, and there have been some learnings there, but I haven't always shared that knowledge, yeah. and I haven't always used that knowledge. No. Because I've forgotten it. Yes, exactly. So, you know, and that's the stuff that I have learned. So, all of this is really, really key, I think. It's that embedding aspect, and I think that's yeah. where the evaluation can play a big part. James Atkins, thank you again for contributing to Charity Not Chat. At all. Thank you very much. So, there you go, that was James Atkins talking to us about management and tips for managers. And some really good tips there, I think. Hopefully, you'll agree. We'd love to hear from you. Either way, whether you agree or not, so please do get in touch with us and let us know if you've had any difficult manager stories or stories of how management has worked well in your organisation. Maybe you're a good manager and you've you've got some tips that you can share with our community of listeners. So please do get in touch through the website charitychat.org.uk. We'll hopefully hear more from James in the future. Um, thanks again, James. You're a good chap and we really appreciate your continued support. So uh, that's it for me uh, this episode. Plenty more coming up over the next few weeks. But um, for now, just to thank our sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksumit for a beautiful uh, website that she's designed for us free of charge, RR Yard Photography, of course, for the lovely photos they sent to us pro bono for our website, charitychat.org.uk. And finally, last but not least, Forest of Fools have been playing throughout the show and will be playing us out shortly. That's it from me. Keep in touch. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye.